the disciple Luke, as he is prone to do, has given us the story of the birth of Jesus Christ in great detail. He goes out of his way to be sure we know exactly what happened that night, and we are able to see it in our mind's eye. It's this passage of Scripture, which was just read, that has given inspiration to all of our ideas about what happened that first Christmas, from our own family traditions uh, to Charlie Brown's family traditions. However, often overlooked are important characters in this story. The shepherds. We find them in our nativity scenes, but their role is much more significant than manning the perimeter of our home nativity sets. They have a central role in this story because it turns out we are the shepherds. Now, Luke, who's a great historian, he wrote this gospel in the book of Acts, wants us to know that this really happened. He goes into historical detail. Luke gives it all to us. In fact, one of the ways which the historical reliability of the Bible is established is that it often includes details which would be better excluded. In this story, he should have left out the shepherds. Shepherds in the first century were poor. Rabbinic traditions label them as unclean. Shepherds were generally disliked because sheep eat private property. Sheep, shepherds were lowly and uneducated. Now, it's true that the Bible rehabilitates the image of a shepherd. This story certainly does. The 23rd Psalm, Jesus teaching about being the good shepherd in John 10. But in the ancient Near East, this is an exception. Think of when young David was called to be king in 1 Samuel. Samuel goes through all of Jesse's sons and asks, are you sure this is it? And Jesse says, well, there's the youngest, but he's out tending the sheep. Meaning, not only is he the runt of the litter, he has the most menial role in the household of shepherding. The youngest being the youngest, does the work that the others don't want to do. If shepherds are at the bottom of the social scale, why would an angel of the Lord appear to them? The news is given first to shepherds, not to the religious, the powerful, the rulers of kingdoms, those in authority. The angels appear to those who everyone else has forgotten, lowly shepherds. But not only are they the least likely candidates to receive the message of Jesus' birth, they weren't looking for it either. The shepherds were out minding their own business, doing what they're supposed to do, tending their flocks by night. And out of nowhere, the angel of the Lord appears, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. It's no wonder they were filled with fear. They were surrounded by the glory of the Lord. And when this happens in the Bible, at least up to this point in the Bible, it's normally not a welcome development. Knowing your sin will make you fear and tremble in the presence of an almighty God. 
Anytime the presence of God shows up, if you are aware of your loneliness, lowliness, you will feel even smaller. That's why throughout the scriptures, when people encounter the Lord, they fall on their faces and they say, depart from me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Get as far away from me as you possibly can, because your holiness makes me feel so small. But the angels assure the shepherds that they should not fear. How is that possible? If God has redeemed you, there is no need to fear his presence, but you long to dwell in it. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. And because we are his sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If God has redeemed you, he's made you by the power of his spirit, not by the power of your will, not voluntarily have you been made a child of God, but because of God's great mercy and forgiveness shown through Jesus Christ. And so when you enter into the presence of Almighty God by virtue of who Jesus is and what he's done, you no longer say, depart from me, but you see God as he is, your heavenly Father, your holy parent who loves you. But not only would the shepherds be afraid of the glory of the Lord, they would be afraid to visit this child that they've been invited to. Who am I, a lowly shepherd, to visit the Messiah, the Savior of the world? I I won't even get through the front door. I'll be turned away. But isn't it remarkable that God meets us where we are? A sign is given. They would find the rescuer of the world, not in a palace, but in an ordinary peasant home, a home like the shepherds lived in. And so they go and they respond to the invitation of the angel and they go to Bethlehem with haste. They leave their flocks and they head straight for the Lord Jesus. And upon seeing their Redeemer, they told others of him and returned to their flocks glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. They returned changed men. And tonight, the angel of the Lord gives the same invitation to us that he gave to those shepherds so long ago. The message of the angel is not just for those men 2,000 years ago, but for us tonight. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us, is about what God has done in history. It's about how Jesus came, lived, died, and rose again. The gospel is not abstract ideas. It's not a philosophy. It's not just truths that have been revealed. It's news about events that really happened in history. Christ died and was raised on the third day. And like the shepherds, we're given this invitation, an invitation to come and see the Savior 
who is born this day in the city of David. But will we respond as the shepherds did? You may, like them, be going about your own business. You may be here tonight for any number of reasons. You're with your fiance. This is just what your family does every year. You like the music and the feel of Christmas, but you have no intention of making your way to the manger and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. You may not have even given such a decision thought. You are fearful of how God might change you, that as you grow more into his likeness, it will affect your relationships, your job, your everything. But like those shepherds of old, this is no ordinary night as you have a divine appointment with your Redeemer. A difference in your life will take place this night, whether you stay in the field or you make your way to the manger. Will you, like the shepherds, come with haste? You may, like them, be afraid. You have an understanding of God who is capricious and arbitrary. He is great and gives not a care for you. And so you feel that in your life it's best to, that to, for there to be a mutual avoidance of both parties. But that is not so. God does not avoid you, and you cannot avoid him. Jesus comes crashing into our lives as he did in Bethlehem so long ago, and we must reckon with his appearing. The child was born for the likes of shepherds, the poor, the lowly, the rejected. He also came for the rich and the wise, who would later appear with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so when the angel gives us the invitation, come and see this Savior who is your Savior, it is important that we just not listen to that invitation, but we understand it. Hearing, but not understanding not comprehending. You may have heard the angel, but it has no implication for you. I have a friend who is a defense attorney, and he often will represent people who cannot pay for, their service, for his services. And so what he normally does is he lets them ply their trade in return for his defending them in court. And so he's had entire walls bricked up in the back of his house by former clients. And one guy who couldn't pay uh, said that he was a painter. And if there was anything that needed painting, he would paint for them, for the Warthens. And so Ben said, well, that's great. He came over to the house. He said, I'm building a house in Charlottesville, Virginia, up on the top of the mountain overlooking the university, and I'd like for you to paint the exterior. And here's the can of paint, and this is the color I want it. Well, three weeks later, the man called Ben and said, come on up, your house is ready. And on getting up to the top of the mountain, there was Ben's house painted the most vivid, bright pink. <laughs> well, Ben was appalled, and rightfully so. He said, called him up and said, what were you thinking? He said, well, I looked at the can and the label on it was bright pink, so that's what I thought you wanted. The man never thought to look in the can, to never actually look at the label to see what color it really was. And in the same way, we might hear the message of the angels, but it actually doesn't sink into our hearts and our minds. Now, part of it for many of us is that we're easily distracted by the messenger. 
But we should not judge the message by the quality of the messenger. If a message is challenging or hard to believe, it's easy to dismiss it by focusing on the messenger. Why believe in something like that? The shepherds, of course, had no reason to disbelieve, for it was an angel that spoke to them. But what about those others whom the shepherds went to and said, Unto you is born this day in the city of David. The shepherds left changed, but what Luke tells us is those that heard the message were simply amazed, but went about their own lives. They dismissed the message because the shepherds were the messengers. It's extraordinarily easy to not really hear the word of God because it comes to us through such non-spectacular means. We have to be aware of our own prejudices. While hearing but not really hearing is bad for any sort of relationship as it was for my friend Ben, it's absolutely destructive for our relationship with God. The Bible exists in an extraordinarily ignorable form. Its teachers and preachers are often uninteresting, but we can let that keep us from listening and responding to what the message is. Are you listening but not comprehending? Are you listening but willfully misunderstanding? You can remain in the field going about your shepherding all the while walking in darkness. Or you can make your way to the manger and step into his glorious light. Friends, this baby God the Son came with a purpose. The heavenly hosts tell us that it is to bring peace. Peace from what? Peace in the Bible is almost never about pleasantness and prosperity. Peace in the Bible is more often than not an end to warfare and enmity. The proclamation of Christmas, however, Though that we are estranged by God because of our sin, God himself has bridged the gap by coming to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. As the great hymn says, Christmas is about God and sinners reconciled. Jesus, the perfect mediator between estranged parties. By assuming a human nature, the God-man bridges the chasm, dies for our sins, and heals the breach giving us peace with God and the prospect of peace with one another. Not only do we have peace with God, but God promises us in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he will make us peacemakers. Changed lives, as the shepherds had when they went back into the fields. They went back to tending their flocks, but they went back changed. They went back to shepherding but they were a different kind of shepherd. Will you come to the manger tonight and behold your Savior? Will you not just hear the message of the angel, but go with haste to behold him? Even a feeding trough cannot veil his glory. He cannot be robbed of it. His glory is so great that he can make a throne room out of a stable. But he longs he longs to make your heart his throne. This baby comes with a purpose, 
to reconcile you to God the Father, to make you his child by his death and resurrection. Karl Barth was right when he said, Jesus is not part of the story of Christmas. Christmas is part of the story of Jesus. This is just the beginning. The light has come into the world, but the old is fading away, for the new is come. Will you come to him tonight? Will this night be a part of your story? May our spirit be like those shepherds so long ago and make haste to the manger. Come, let us adore him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that your Holy Spirit would plow up our hearts, that we might hear this beautiful message of your great love for us, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And no matter where we are, whether we be poor or rich, high or lowly, Lord, you meet us at our place of need, uh, and our deepest point of need is our need for you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would draw our hearts to you, that we would come to the manger and behold him, and that you would take our hearts and make them your throne, and that you might be Lord of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.